think Lyndon is a stranger to most of us. Uh, this may be the for some may be the first time, but but Lyndon's done a, our church a great service over the last four or five years. He's come and preached revivals. Uh, I want to encourage you to invite someone to come with you this week. I, this is going to be a great set of meetings. Uh, Brother Mark Umble will be with us starting this afternoon uh, in our revival services. He's going to be leading our music, just a mighty man of God and very talented on the piano. So uh, you come and be a part of our services, and, and I just want to lift you up, brother. Thank you, thank, so much. thank you, brother. God bless you. I'd like for you to open your Bible with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalm chapter 33, we're going to begin there this morning, Psalm chapter 33, another little uh, thing about Mark Humble, uh, we're going to have a good time with Mark, he's my pastor, he is my pastor, our pastor I should say, uh, we have our two boys with us, Ben, who will turn 13 this Friday. Uh, you'll pray for us seriously now. Amen. Asa, who just turned nine on March the 4th. And uh, so uh, we got these two rascals with us today, and we're going to have a great time. But anyway, you're going to enjoy Brother Mark Humble. He is a great man of God, as uh, Brother Wayne just said. My wife, Miss uh, Carrie, is with us. She'll probably... Uh, Brother Mark, allow her to sing some during the week, and uh, I think she'll bless your heart as well. But today in Psalm chapter 33, remember folks, real quickly, I preach as fast as you listen. You listen fast, I'll preach fast, we'll get out here in a hurry. You drag around listening, I'm going to drag around preaching, okay? So you listen fast with me. Let's stand together to give reverence to the reading of the Word of God, chapter 33, the book of Psalm, begin with verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up uh, the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He spake and it was done. That was the big, uh, uh, you know, the big boom theory or whatever they call it. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all, of his heart to all generations. And then verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Be seated, please. I mean, boy, if you was to read the book of Psalms, I mean, one after another, one after another, David is constantly just, I mean, giving God glory, honor, and praise. And uh, I mean, just words that just blesses our heart. And, and uh, 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 I mean, it's the word of God, the word of God, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, if you was to do an in-depth study of old King David here, his constant bragging on the person of God that he's holy, uh, he's faithful. Uh, you know, I, I, 
You know, other words that we've at Baptist, we've used, we've said things like that God is omnipotent. I remember as a young boy hearing that word, omnipotent, and I was saying to myself, wow, what does that mean? (laughs) Wow, man, that sounds, I mean, I wish I could just say it, omnipotent. I mean, our God is an omnipotent God. He's all-powerful. The the preacher could have helped me. Just tell you, God's all-powerful, and I believe that. But he's also omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. You cannot go no place where God's not. David said in Psalm 139, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. You cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. You ever notice anybody who backslides on God? Now, I know you've never done it, but I'm talking about those who did, who, who have backslid on God. The first thing they think they can do is flee from the presence of the Lord. That's Jonah. Remember Jonah? He, his motto was, here am I, send somebody else. <laughs> Isaiah said, here am I, send me, send me. But not Jonah. He said, here am I. Send somebody else. I don't want to go to Nineveh, that great wicked city, and cry out against it. Hey, listen, in three nights in whale motel, (laughs) when that whale spewed him out, hit him on dry land, he lit out for Nineveh. Hey, listen, in the belly of the whale, he said, salvation is of the Lord. What I'm saying is, friend, you cannot... Be anywhere where the presence of God is not. So he's, he's omnipresent. He's, uh, he's uh, omnipotent, but he's also omniscient. What in the world does that mean, preacher? That means he knows everything. He even knows what you're thinking right now. Like, how much longer is this sermon going to last? God knows what you're thinking. He knows everything. But hey, listen, man, I could just go on and on bragging and praising God and give you opportunity. We'd be here till tonight. But I want to preach a sermon entitled, Four Things God Doesn't Know. You said, man, that's a contradiction of everything you said up to this point. I want to show you four quick things, I mean real quick, four things that God doesn't know. He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. But I'm going to submit to you four things God doesn't know. Number one, real quickly, God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. He said, man, that's not, you didn't come over too sweet to us this morning. I mean, this might be the last chance I have with some of y'all, amen? Don't forget I was a pastor for 22 years. I know about Sunday morning crowds. Amen. That's the popularity of the community. Sunday night, that's the popularity of the preacher. <laughs> Wednesday night, that's the popularity of the Lord. Mm. Mm. So let's talk about it real quickly. God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. You name the sin, God hates it. Any of my sin, he hates every one of them. My wife's sin, he hates every one of them. Hey, the sins of your pastor, he hates every one of them. God hates our sins. God hates our sin. I had a person tell me one time, Preacher, what you need to do is be kinder. I said, no, 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 no. I'm 61 years old. I don't need to be kinder. I need to be more truthful. Amen? Amen? I need to be more honest. I need to tell folks the truth. America is in a critical condition tonight. I mean, today, because we've not been honest enough. 
the pulpit of America, we've worried, not y'all, not y'all's church, but other churches, they, we've worried about nickels and noses uh, so long that we've watered down the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've minimized sin. We've humanized God. We've criticized the Word of God. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. You name it, he hates it. Jealousy, he hates it. He hates our sin. Pride. He ha- I'm talking about sins that you and I, we're guilty of. You know, I'm going to talk about adultery. You, hey, you're not guilty of that. I'm not talking about robbing a bank. As far as I know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where we live, the thoughts that we have, that enters our mind. See, God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. You think about that sin right now that you're in your own, I mean right now in the forefront of your mind, God hates it. God hates it. He hates the sin of unbelief, not willing to believe God. I mean, he couldn't do many miracles because of unbelief. <clears throat> I preached a sermon called Tying the Hands of God. You know how you tie the hands of God? Not believing him. Unbelief. Um, hey, listen, friend. There's, there's stuff in the Bible I don't even understand. But I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. I even believe my Bible when it says genuine leather. I believe it all. I believe the maps. I believe it all. I believe that the Word of God is God-breathed. It's infallible, inerrant. It's without mixture of error in every single area that it speaks. It's a God-breathed book. God does not breathe error. God doesn't know a sin. He doesn't hate. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad and dirty and rotten, a stinker. I'm not trying to do that at all. You say, well, I can't wait to go home and watch me a TV preacher, bless God. They make me feel good. Hey, listen, friend. God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. You name the sin. We could be here till Jesus comes, my friend. You stand up all day long in name of sin. I'm going to tell you, God hates it. God hates it. God hates it. God hates it. God hates sin. Wouldn't it be good we got back to that same philosophy in our own life? That wouldn't it be good if you and I hated sin? We just hate sin in everybody else's life. <laughs> Had a teenage girl when I was a pastor a long time ago. I've been out of the pastorate 17 years. <clears throat> but I had a, a young lady who went to the church where we were, youth. And uh, she finally got angry, mad at me enough, and left the church. And she told all of her friends at high school, Six miles down the road, the local high school. She said, don't go to that church. Don't go to Brother Lennon's church. Don't go to that church. He makes everything sin. So I just ran into her, I think at the county fair or the parish fair. And I ran into her. I said, hey, Lisa. Hey, Brother Lennon. I said, I heard you was talking about me. I know that's probably not true, but I'm just going to ask you face to face. Did you... Have you been talking about me in school? What do you mean? I said, did you make this statement that I make everything sin? She said, yes, sir, I said that. You do. 
I said, that's not true, Lisa. Just everything you're doing is sin. Just how you're living is sinful. But for the most part, we, everybody, what everybody else does is sin. Hey, listen, real quickly before I get to number two, three, and four. We'd be hard-pressed to find anybody in this room who's sinned today. I mean, if I was taking my microphone, walk out among the crowd and say, excuse me, sir, have you sinned today? I mean, it'd be like a deer in a headlight. <laughs> we wouldn't know what to say. You'd say, well, I, let me think. Uh, I don't know, well... No, I, don't, I didn't sin. I, I made a few boo-boos. When did boo-boos become sin? Or when did sin get so watered down that there are boo-boos? And shortcomings. And oops. And mistakes. Rather than disobedience. Rather than lawlessness. Rather than transgressions. See, God doesn't know a sin... He doesn't hate. You name the sin, he hates it. I, I'm going to be at the back door after the service is over. And if you can think of sin he doesn't hate, let's talk about it at the back door and say, well, what about this? What about this? What about a little white lie? <laughs> he don't even know what a white lie is. They're all lies. They're all lies. Point number one, God doesn't know sin, he doesn't hate. Number two, God doesn't know a sinner he doesn't love. Amen? God doesn't know a sinner he doesn't love. He hates my sin, but he loves me. That's why, hey, listen, friend, last Sunday we celebrated up from the grave, he arose. I mean, man, last Sunday, boy, was a, I mean, a highlight for Christendom. I mean, Jesus was died, but he didn't stay dead. All them other cats, when they died, they're still dead. Who are you talking about? I'm talking about Buddha, Confucius, uh, Muhammad. I'm talking about our God. When he died, he promised us on the third day, I'm coming back. The stone was rolled rolled away, not for him to get out, but for you and I to look in and see that he's alive forevermore. Just like he said, but God doesn't know a sinner. He doesn't love. That's why you shouldn't mark people off. Say, well, they're just too mean. They're too bad. Well, that one's too ugly. I mean, we could just go down the line. You know, I don't want ugly people in my church. I want pretty folk, pretty sinners. (laughs) See, when I... When I was pastoring, I went after everybody. Amen. I went after everybody. I didn't practice selective evangelism. I didn't pick and choose who we wanted in the club. Because Jesus died for everybody. And being that I raised in the housing project myself, who was I to look down my nose on anybody? You know, I went after, I'm from the other side of the track. Man, I knew if Jesus loved people on the other side of the track, he'd love anybody. Man, I went after everybody. If they give me a, hey, listen, I'd witness to anybody. I'd witness to a fence post. You hear me? Anything that wouldn't move, I was trying to share Christ with that individual. 
See, because God still loves the world. I mean, He still loves lost people. And we, the church, must love lost people. This is beautiful. I, I, hey, listen, when I walked in this morning, I remember and I looked inside how beautiful this house of worship is. This is beautiful, but this is not a hotel. It's not a hotel for saints. Supposed to be a hospital for sinners. That's the kind of people who want to get in here this week. Them doors, I mean, they'll, they'll just bust open. This is, I mean, listen, this week, this ought to be an emergency room. An emergency room. I mean, we'll be throwing the doors open. I got another one coming in. He's coming in right now. You know some of those people I'm talking about. I know you, you, you weren't that bad, but you know bad people. I mean, you probably never even spit on the sidewalk. You never struck a match. But some of us, we were at the bottom of the barrel. But he came to me. When I could not come to where he was, Jesus came to me. God doesn't know a sinner. He doesn't love. He doesn't love. I mean, but when I get on, check my email, and I go through the AOL there, and I see some of the horrendous things that's happening in America. People killing one another. I mean, daddy's killing the family. And I'm saying... And most of us say, well, I can't love nobody like I You're not God. God does still love people. He loves people. He loves people. Not only God doesn't know a sin, he doesn't hate. God doesn't know a sinner, he doesn't love. God doesn't know a better salvation. According to the book of Acts, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way to be saved. And it's not a Baptist way only. It's not even a Church of Christ way. It's not a Pentecostal way. Somebody say, he say Pentecost? <laughs> yeah, Pentecost. I'd rather you be Pentecost than plenty lost. Amen? And I used to be plenty lost, buddy. Plenty lost. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. I am the way. Definite, definite article. I am the way, not a way, not a ideal. I'm the only way to glory. I've had a lot of people, man, try to tell me there's a different way to get to heaven. I mean, I really have. But Clayton, I've, tell, I've had people tell me there. <clears throat> that I mean, they literally got on my case and say, if I wanted to go to Fort Worth, Texas, there's more than one way to get to Fort Worth. I said, well, I, I believe that. I've got lost two or three times. I can tell you different ways to get forward, Texas. <laughs> Don't follow GPS, number one. <laughs> but uh, finally, I just told the old boy, I said, the only problem with your reasoning, when you die, you don't go to Fort Worth. <laughs> <laughs> You're either going to heaven or hell, amen? There's only one way to miss hell, make heaven. Jesus said, I am that road. I am that way. See, he doesn't know a better salvation. And we in our churches, you'd be amazed how many folks in our churches, not y'all's church, but other churches I've been in, that, that's lost, don't know Christ. 
You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in thy name? And in thy name do many wonderful works? And Jesus said, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, you church people. Then old Dr. Billy Graham, you know, you got to kind of watch him. He's 97 years old. He said 85% of our churches are lost. Wow, 85%. We was in a meeting last week. A lady came to me feeding us after church. She said, do you really believe that statistic? <laughs> I mean, she never got past the statistic. <laughs> yeah, I really believe there's a lot of lost people in church. I really do. George, uh, George W. Truett, he pastored the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, for almost half a century. You know, George W. Truett, on his deathbed, deathbed, George W. Truett said on his deathbed, half of my church is lost. <laughs> half of my church is lost. You know, let me tell you a good way to get the preacher to quit looking for you. Join the church. <laughs> Join the church, we'll leave you alone. I pray the Holy Spirit won't leave you alone. But for the most part, if you're going to some church, we, we won't bother you. But they go to church over there across the river, you know, ain't Sookie's church over there, you know. I mean, we, we need to ask people. I try to ask people, if you die right now, do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven? I like to ask people that question. You know, I like it because some of the response I get, some of them say, why don't you just mind your own business? I said, I am. I'm an evangelist. This is my business. <laughs> this is my business. If you died right now, do you know for sure? I'm, hey, listen, let's, let's don't laugh about it, but you need to answer that. If you died today, you say, oh, you're making it personal, man. It's not a joke no more. Huh? Oh, if you died right now, do you know for sure? I, I said that to one man. He said, you, you mean right now? You, you mean right now? I said, yes, sir, right now. Because one out of one dies. You can't improve on that. <laughs> one of these days, you, you're going to... Well, the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. One of these days, we're going to die. Do you know for sure? You have it set? <clears throat> In the last few weeks, I've done a, done a number of revivals when I've been home. They called me up, Brother Linden, could you help us out? Sure, be glad to. <clears throat> Two of them were over in their 70s, 73, 74. But this last one was 54. 54. I just preached his funeral. Two months earlier, he stood in our living room in our home on Friday night, January the 24th, and they renewed their wedding vows 35 years. Little did he know in two months he would be standing before God. 54 years old. Wow. Had a stroke. Went in the hospital because of pneumonia. Had a stroke. My Cajun with friends would say he caught a stroke. <laughs> I think the stroke caught him. God doesn't know a better way to be saved than His way. There's only one way. There's only one way. 
I've had them tell me all kind of silly things. I said, if you die right now, do you, do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, I've been baptized. Excuse me, I didn't say anything about baptism. If you die right now, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? I've been to the front. I've been down to the front. What's so spiritual about the front? Can't you get saved in the back? You can get saved in the yard. I've been to the front. Been baptized. Shook the preacher's head. You could hug our necks. That's not going to make you saved. I trusted Jesus Christ only. Let me give you a fearful, fearful fact. Let me give you the fourth thing that God doesn't know. Number one, he doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. He doesn't know a sinner he doesn't love. I'm so glad because I was the worst sinner. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I'm chief. Chief sin. He doesn't know a better salvation. But here's the last thing real quickly. He doesn't know a better time than right now to be saved. So, preacher, I'm going to go home and think about it. Well, amen. Just don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. There's a lot of people in hell this morning, ladies and gentlemen, who never intended to be there. They just put it off and waited too long. They just waited too long. They wanted to be saved. They knew they needed to be saved. They were waiting for that right opportunity. They kept putting it on. I'll do it next time. I'll do it the next time. I'll do it the next time. I was in a revival meeting not long ago. On a Sunday morning, we had some people saved in the particular, that particular service. But Sunday night was what was interesting. Because Sunday night, we started at 6 o'clock on Sunday night. A 13-year-old girl got in a van with her mother. And as the mother got ready to crank the van... The young lady looked at her mom and said, Mama, make sure you put your seatbelt on. And she said, well, honey, I always do, but I'm going to put it on now. And the girl, the little 13-year-old girl, she put her seatbelt on very slowly and tugged on it and made it shrimp tight. And the mother said, sweetheart, what is your problem? She said, I got to make sure I get back to church tonight. I should have got saved this morning. And I put it off, and I want to make sure I make it back to church tonight to get my heart to Jesus. So, I mean, she was the first one. Matter of fact, she didn't wait for the invitation. She didn't wait for us to sing just as I am. She came just like she was. (laughs) And she needed Jesus. This could be your last opportunity to be saved. It really could. It could. That's not a scare tactic. That happens every day. That's a reality check. And I ask you from my heart to your heart, are you sure if you died right now this morning, you have a home in heaven? If not, listen, let everybody else go home. Let's just me and you just stay here till we get it settled. We're going to have what we call an invitation. We're going to invite you to come. Said, so do I need to walk down that aisle? Well, Jesus said it like this. If, you confess, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll also deny you before the Father which is in heaven. Matthew chapter 10. 
Let me tell you the easiest place in Soda, Texas to confess Jesus publicly right here at this church. Right here, in front of everybody. <clears throat> I got news for you. If you can't confess him here publicly in front of everybody, you're probably not going to do it outside this building. Because I'm going to tell you about this group right here. They'll get excited. They'll hug your neck. I mean, they'll hug you tight, too. And some of them will squall and cry. And they'll rejoice over your accepting Jesus. Don't let the devil lie to you and say, well, I'll come back tonight. You may come back tonight. You may sit in the same place where you're sitting. But the Holy Spirit may not visit you tonight. That's just a reality. His spirit's not always going to strive. He said, Preacher, you just put it out there like it is. Right. What if Jesus came today? What if Jesus came today? And you don't want to miss that. His first coming was something, but that second coming is going to really be wild. I mean, it's going to be something. You don't want to miss that. You want to be there. I'm on the reception committee. I already know about that, buddy. He's coming very soon. Morning, night, or noon. It could happen today. On a Sunday. Who would have thunk it? Amen. <laughs> on a Sunday. He could come Wednesday and mess up everybody's playhouse. <laughs> but today, you say, preacher... I need to settle it today. So what I want you to do with me, bow your head. Every head bow and every eye close. I ask our organ piano players to come. Have our invitation time. Won't you come on? Brother Clayton's making his way up here. In just a moment, we're going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to give you the number of the song. We're going to ask you to sing. But before we do all of that, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask husbands not look at his wife, wife not look at her husband, just for this moment. I'm going to ask teenagers not look at their parents, parents not look at their teenagers, just for this moment. But I want to ask you from my heart to your heart, do you have it settled this morning? If you died right now, you know for sure you have a home in heaven. If you were to die right now, you know for sure. You say, no preacher, I don't. Brother Lyndon Longoria, I do not know if I died right now, I have a home in heaven. Please pray for me. Just pray for me. You don't know my name. You certainly don't know where I live at, preacher. Please pray for me that I won't wait till it's too late. Just pray for me, preacher. If that's you, dear sir, ma'am, young person, teenager, if that's you, could I ask you to do something you've never done before in your life? You simply just lift your head, look at me eyeball to eyeball. Just me and you, preacher, if I died right now, if I died right now, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I have a home in heaven. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to grab you by the arm, drag you down an aisle, embarrass you or hurt your feelings. But today you say, preacher, that's me. That's me, preacher. Just lift your head, put it right back down. Lift it up, put it right back down. This is your day. This is your opportunity. We're going to give you for you to make that decision, you know you need to make. Don't die without Jesus, my friend. 
Not when he's knocking at the door of your heart, asking you, let him come in. Won't you do it today? Won't you do it today? As we stand quietly, reverently to our feet, what are we singing, Brother Clayton? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. As we sing, would you come? Would you come this morning? Say, preacher, I need Jesus. Would you come? Won't you come right now?